A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. At that time, the Lord appointed 72 others, whom he sent ahead of him in pairs, to every town and place he intended to visit. He said to them, The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Go on your way. Behold, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals, and greet no one along the way. Into whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this household. If a peaceful person lives there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in the same house and eat and drink what is offered to you, for the laborer deserves his payment. Do not move about from one house to another. Whatever town you enter and they welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God is at hand for you. Whatever town you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, The dust of your town that clings to our feet, even that we shake off against you. Yet know this, The kingdom of God is at hand. I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom on that day than for that town. The 72 returned rejoicing and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us because of your name. Jesus said, I have observed Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Behold, I have given you the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and upon the full force of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. As we all know, we're here at Mass, right? That's what we call it. Uh, You can also call it church, right? We're at church, um, but as Catholics, we call it Mass. And the reason for that actually comes uh, from the Latin phrase of the end statement of of Mass, which is ite misa est, which actually basically means in literal translation, go, it is the sending. It's the dismissal. So our entire liturgy, the entire time at church, is named after the last thing that we do. And I think it's helpful for us to know that because it reminds us of what Mass is about. It's about being here, absolutely. But it's about being here and being sent forth. Okay? So it's not meant to remain here forever. And this is true about being in this building as well as being on this earth. We're not meant to be here forever. We're meant to be here now, and then at the appropriate time, be sent forth. And where are we being sent to, right? What are we being sent for? Well, we're being sent into the world. We're here to walk with Jesus, just as he walked with his 72, and then he sent them out into the world. And we ourselves are also being sent into the world. Now, I would say, you know, there have been certain times in our uh, world's history, um, and especially in the West, that the world around us has been very Christian. And even I would say when I was growing up, I thought I was growing up in a pretty Christian world. 
And I think that there's still a lot of remnants of that, certainly. A lot of the values that we have as a culture as whole in the West is very much rooted in Christianity. But it's interesting because now I would say that a majority of us as we go out into the world, uh, questionable how much of a Christian worldview do we see in many people's lives. Now, I'm not saying that as I was a kid, like, we had a great Christian worldview, right? We, we had a Christian worldview, and I don't think we were living up to it very much. And I think that's very true throughout the ages, right? But now, I, I don't even know if most have a semblance or a desire for something more uh, like Christianity. And so, more than ever, more than any time, at least in my life, right, and probably your life as well, we are being sent into a world that even though that there are remnants of Christianity. Certain people know who Jesus Christ is if by word or knowing how to swear, you know, and use his name. They know how to do that, right? But, but don't maybe know anything about him, right? They don't really know what it means to be Christian or really what the values are or um, understand it at all. And so this could be a place of despair, but I see it as a place of opportunity. I see it as a place of opportunity because Christianity often doesn't do well with worldly riches and power. And we see this throughout the ages. Um, When Christianity kind of takes over, um, it often becomes distorted, not because of Christianity, but because human beings are involved, right? And, And power and riches often corrupt. And we sometimes get some really bad Christians, right? And so often when we are kind of in the underdog, in the midst of it all, is actually the best place that Christianity lives and really thrives. We're called to be in the world, but we're not called to be of the world. And I'll say that we're called to be, we're not called to be weird, but we are, or we're called, we're not called to be normal in the world. Now, I will preface that to say that we're not called to be weird, right? We don't need to be weird to not just be normal, right? But it's okay that we don't have the normal values or act in the same way as everybody else. It's okay if we don't fit in in the world in a normal way. That's okay. That might actually be, in many circumstances, a good thing, right? A good thing that you don't fit in with a group of friends that just want to go out to the haunch and drink all night, right? That's okay, all right? So uh, what, um, what kind of history do we have that this as Christians to be in the world but not of the world? Well, we have it from the very beginning. And I'd like to read a section uh, of, a, of a letter that was written to... I'm going to say it wrong, but I'm going to try to say it. Dignitatus. Dignitus. Um, And he writes this letter uh, to someone who's interested in Christianity. And this letter is thought to be written around 130 to 180 AD, or about 200 AD. And so we're not exactly sure. But I think it gives beautifully what Christianity's role in the midst of the Roman Empire, in the midst of the world, was in the first century of Christianity. And so it says, uh, he's kind of explains quite a bit, but kind of at the middle of it, I'd like to read certain sections from it. I'll be kind of skipping around, but reading it as a whole. And I'd like you to, to think about, you know, kind of how, how, 
thinking about the early Roman Empire, thinking about early Christianity, and thinking about our life as well in this. So it says, for the, now this is, again, somebody who doesn't know what Christianity really is, okay? He's just heard about it, and he's wondering what these new people are, okay? So he says, For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a particular form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. But inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them as determined, and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of the ordinary conduct, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth is as of land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. And yet, those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum up all in one word, what the soul is to the body, Christians are to the world. The soul loves the flesh, but hates it. And loves also the member. Oh, sorry. The soul loves the flesh that hates the soul and loves also the members. Christians, likewise, love those who hate them. The soul is imprisoned in the body, yet preserves the very body. The soul, when but ill provided with food and drink, become better. In like manner, the Christians, though subjected day by day to punishment, increase the more in number. And so we see, today, we see in that beautiful, I, I love that letter because it, it just unpacks uh, so much of the countercultural Christianity of its day. And what's amazing is that those Christians who were again persecuted, who were hated, um, did end up transforming the Roman Empire to become Christians. Now, again, I would say not always the best Christians, right? Not always, you know, the best uh, values and necessarily living it out. But it's amazing that this small little uh, organization that its founder was killed was able to surpass and take over the entire Western world in their thoughts and values, even when they were so contrary to the very uh, culture that they lived within. And so, for ourselves, we are called um, 
to transform the world just as those Christians did 2,000 years ago from a hedonistic, brutal cultures of human exploitation and even human sacrifice to hopefully become better with maybe not perfection, but at least better standards. Um, And so uh, we today are called in a similar way to be sent forth and, and just like Jesus Christ sends them, to go and bring the peace of Christ, the love of Christ, his message, the gospel, and to live in a countercultural way. Now, I can't help but think about this, especially as we celebrate the 4th of July, right? Uh, which we, we celebrate the Declaration of Independence, uh, the United States, this foundation of an experiment uh, that we all are a part of. And many people talk about the United States being founded as a Christian country. And I think in many ways it was. Um, Although, interestingly enough, uh, we Catholics have an interesting relationship with the United States. Because actually the colonial United States, at least colonial before the United States was actually established, was actually very anti-Catholic. Um, in fact, Rhode Island, which was established to have uh, in the, within their constitution freedom, of, kind of a freedom of religion or freedom of tolerance of religion, uh, actually passed a law in 1719 that if you were Catholic, you couldn't even vote. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, so that's kind of where we are. When Maryland was established to be a Catholic colony, a, a colony of tolerance, again, that colony actually passed the Constitution to ban Catholics, and then repealed it, and then banned it again, okay? So we've got this interesting kind of relationship from the very beginning. Interesting enough, uh, George Washington was actually a huge proponent to open up for religious freedom, and actually was hugely supportive of Catholics. Uh, the, U- uh, the first, um, actually, Navy officer in, uh, put in command of a ship by... Um, the colonies uh, in the Revolutionary War was actually um, John Barry, I believe. Sorry, I've got it here, and now I'm missing it. Oh, yeah, uh, Commodore John Barry. And so he's actually thought to be the father of the Navy. Now, John, John Paul Jones uh, is kind of the traditional father of the Navy, uh, but some people think about that actually was partly because of the anti-Catholic sediment, that John Barry couldn't be the father of the Navy because he was an Irish Catholic. Right? Um, we only have one Catholic who signed the Declaration of Independence, interestingly enough. Um, and so we see that actually in the 1800s, uh, there was actually huge anti-Catholic sentiment that an entire party of the know-nothings was raised up partly as an anti-Catholic sentiment. We have the, the KKK, which was certainly uh, racist, but also anti-Catholic. Um, in my hometown in northern Wisconsin, or not where I was in northern Wisconsin, one of the Catholic, they had to, uh, the KKK were attacking different things in, in Hudson, Wisconsin. Actually, the local priest did a procession to basically drive them out of the town um, because they were, they were persecuting all peoples in that way. Now, we're grateful for the United States in the experiment that it is and the freedom of religion. But I want us to be, I guess, be confident as Catholics to, again, still be leavened, still be sent in the midst of it all. The First Amendment right for the free exercise of religion is not, uh, I don't think was intended 
and I think is a poor reading if we read it as though a complete ironclad separation of church and state. Now, certainly the intention was that the state should not regulate religion. Yes. However, it is for the free exercise of religion, which doesn't just mean here as we celebrate, but that when we also go forth, we bring our religion's practice and beliefs along with us. And that should inform us. Because if our religion and our ethics don't inform us, well, what does inform us? Right? Then we're just a plastic to be pried in whatever way we want. Right? When, we get elect, when, when we elect officials, we elect them for the ethics that they are to hold. And so it is expected that our religious practice, our religious beliefs, do influence our government, do influence those around us. Now, there's always a healthy debate between ethics and morals and disciplines, right? Um, I w- it would be very uh, bad if a Catholic tried to establish that everybody in the United States had to go to church on Sunday, okay? That would be, I think, a misuse, right? But certain ethics that we have uh, I think it is important for us to bring that to the table, to influence the culture around us. But that can't be done without us living as Christians and as Catholics first. So I just want to, I guess, close to say that we are sent out into this world. Um, it's okay if we're not normal, Okay? It's okay if we hold different values than those around us, okay? We're not to be meant to be afraid of that, right? We are meant to be sent forth and to live it. And I think, thankfully, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty, is actually the times when we can be most effective and most true and actually guide us in the deepest ways of what God is calling us to. But we need to be clear that we don't preach a gospel of prosperity, that if you pray in the right way, or if you become Christian, then everything will go well. But instead, we want to be like St. Paul and always boast in nothing except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we are called to carry that cross. And also... That as Jesus corrects the apostles today who went out, that were rejoicing because the spirits were subject to them, he says to them as well, do not rejoice because the spirits are subject to you. Which I would say to us, do not rejoice that Catholics are successful. Right? Do not rejoice that we gain power or riches or those other things or we succeed or we're normalized within the culture. Do not rejoice because of that, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven, because we brought the gospel to the world. Uh, We certainly have an opportunity to transform uh, the culture around us. In fact, we have the opportunity to transform the entire world, right? In a world that is guided by Jesus Christ and his transformative, again, gospel that he brings us. The good news of uh, each human being made in the image and likeness of God, made with dignity and respect, and that we are called as humans to love all. Love at all times, not with uh, an exception, 
but to always love. And so let us do so as we are sent forth from this Mass and we are sent forth always and every day.